It's good to be with you guys. Obviously, this is you know not our usual setup, and uh, so I do apologize to those on YouTube that we we got the live stream up a little bit late. We're uh, obviously it's the first time we've we've done this and used this, and so we're we're learning along uh, along with everybody else uh, this week. But um, so we are going to be picking back up with our series in Genesis, as uh, Thomas was saying. Uh, and so um, in week one, we saw that God created the heavens and the earth and that he created it good. And so this week, we're going to look at God's purpose and design for marriage. Um, and so uh, we're going to be uh, seeing uh, and, and talking about like what, what God intended for marriage. So one of the things that uh, is pretty evident about marriage is that uh, the marriage relationship can be a source of great delight. But it can also be the scene of great devastation. Uh, so uh, God, marriage as God intended it is a beautiful thing. And so we want to see and look to God's word to see uh, what God intended for marriage. Uh, before we go ahead and kick off and, and read the word, though, I do want to uh, pray and just ask God for, uh, for strength. I think myself, along with probably most everybody else listening, has definitely had an unorthodox week and maybe a, a challenging week. And uh, we're all, uh, you know, adjusting our plans and doing new things. And, uh, you know, we've never faced a situation like this before. And so uh, I think uh, what we need to do more than anything is just pray and ask for God's help. And so I just ask as I pray right now, would you please pray for me uh, as I get ready to teach? Uh, Father in heaven, I uh, thank you for your goodness. Um, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every morning. Please help me as I teach. And please help all of us as we listen to your word. I pray that we would humble ourselves before you and before your word, that we would listen to what you have to say to us, oh God. Um, God, we pray that you would uh, change us uh, by your word, that you would make us more like Jesus, that you would convict us of sin, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort those who need to be comforted, uh, that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged, that you would strengthen the weak. God, we ask for your help. Oh God, you are our helper and you are our shield and you are our deliverer and we need you and I need you now. And so we pray that you would come and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I recognize that some of you who are, are listening, uh, maybe uh, you're, you're all in different places right now in your, uh, when it comes to marriage. So some of you uh, thought that marriage would be blissful, uh, but right now uh, it feels like it's a constant fight. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Um, some of you have been praying and waiting to be married and you have a great desire to be married and you're single right now and, and you've been continuing in singleness and maybe the, the sting of that loneliness only seems to intensify by the day. Uh, there's others of you who, who maybe your marriage kind of started like fireworks and it was awesome at first and, but the passion has kind of waned and maybe you even secretly think sometimes about what it would be like to be married to somebody else. And you may, there may be some watching who uh, even entertain the idea of an affair or you may be having one right now. Others uh, may have already endured the painful and bitter end to a marriage through divorce. And the reality is, is that like I said earlier, the marriage relationship can be a source of great delight, but it can also be the, the scene of great devastation. 
And I think in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, this message will prove to be even more important for married and single people alike in the coming days. Because, you know, what one thing this pandemic is doing is it's taking away uh, the distractions and the busyness. And so it's going to force you to face some things that maybe you've been running from in your marriage, maybe things that you've been suppressing. Like it or not, you're about to spend a lot of quality time together. And little annoyances that cause tension are are going to come uh, boiling up. And if you're single and you're desiring to be married, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to heighten that as well. It's going to heighten that desire. The social distancing makes it harder to connect physically and to have companionship. And so it's going to make those desires even more acute. And the temptation is going to be to despair, to search for comfort in the wrong places. And so this morning, I want us to go to scripture to see God's purpose and design for marriage. Here's the main point of this morning's message and of today's text. I'm going to give it to you in a sentence. God has given us the gift of marriage to point us to the greater gift of his covenant love. God has given us the gift of marriage to point us to the greater gift of his covenant love. So specifically, we're going to be looking at God's pattern for marriage, God's plan for marriage, and God's purpose for marriage. So God's pattern, meaning what is marriage designed after, uh, and his plan, meaning how does it work, what, uh, what are the roles within marriage, and then God's purpose, meaning what is the goal or the mission of marriage, what is marriage for. So all three of those things uphold this truth that the gift of marriage is meant to point us to the greater gift of God's covenant love. They're like three legs to a stool that uphold this truth, okay? And so my prayer is that you will see and understand that and that it will set you free to be satisfied in God's love and to be selfless in your marriage. So let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 to see what God's word says. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to to 25. Here's what God's word says. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So you you notice in verse 18 there of Genesis chapter 2, it starts off by saying, God says it's not good for man to be alone. Well, what does it mean? What, What does it mean when it says it's not good for man to be alone? Well, it means much more than just God doesn't want you to be lonely. Now, there's some truth in that. But that's not primarily what that passage is about, what that verse is communicating. 
The reason it's not good for man to be alone is because we are image bearers of the triune God who has eternally existed in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me read you Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. We'll, we'll just skip back to the previous chapter here. It says this, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You notice our And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God says, let us make man in our image. And God created human beings, male and female, because as beings made in his image, we were made for relationship, just as God is a relational God. And we can more fully bear his image as a human race, as male and female, than we could if we were male only, or if we were female only. So what I mean is that God has created us for a relationship, both with himself and with other people. And God has given us these horizontal relationships with one another to help us better grasp that vertical relationship that we have with him. I mean, just think about the different types of relationships that God has created between human beings to help us get a glimpse or a foretaste of how he relates to his people. There's the father-son relationship. There's the king and his subjects. There's the teacher and his disciples. There's friendship. And there's husband and wife, which is perhaps one of the most powerful images of the way that God relates to his people. So let's, let's dive into that. Let's dive into God's pattern for marriage to see what the marriage relationship teaches us about God's relationship with his people. So God's pattern for marriage. So when we go back to our text and we look at Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, when God brought the woman to Adam, he exclaimed in verse 23, he said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So then verse 24 follows up on that and says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I want us to kind of hone in on two phrases there in that verse. The first is hold fast, and the second is the two shall become one flesh. So that term hold fast simply means to stay faithful to. Uh, You may have heard the the term leave and cleave before. That comes from the King James Version uh, rendering of this passage, which says, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So to cleave is to to unite to someone through a binding covenant or oath. It's an unbreakable bond. A marriage union is not meant to be broken. It's an unbreakable bond. It's a lifelong commitment. In fact, that bond is so strong that verse 24 of Genesis 2 says that the two shall become one flesh. So husband and wife are no longer merely individuals. They are bound together as one unit. So what scripture clearly teaches is that marriage is a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. Why is that? Well, marriage is not about us. Marriage is patterned after a greater 
reality. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32, describe this better than I ever could. So let's just go to God's word so that you know this isn't coming from Jared. This isn't Jared's opinion. This is God's word. So listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul quotes Genesis two twenty four right there. And then in verse 32, listen to Paul. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the institution of marriage between a man and a woman is patterned after the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And the church is made up of redeemed and forgiven sinners. That's possible because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That's what it says there in Ephesians chapter 5. He gave himself for us so that he might sanctify us, which means to, to make us holy. He cleanses us. He's making us pure. He's making his bride holy and without blemish. So God chose to set his love on his people, not because we were lovable, but because he wanted to demonstrate the glory of his unconditional, steadfast love. God has so committed himself to us that in Christ, he has become one flesh with the church. That's an amazing reality. I mean, just listen to Ephesians 5.29 again. Paul says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And that's incredible. For Jesus to harm or to abandon the church would be for Jesus to harm or abandon himself. And he will never do that. He has so united himself to us. He has so linked himself to us that we are one with him. So by loving the church, Jesus loves himself. And, and he does this because we are members of his own body. Jesus chose to enter into that kind of covenant relationship with us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what makes it even more amazing. And then he sealed that covenant, that marriage covenant, by his blood. He died to make it happen. It could not have happened without the remission of sins. He faced the wrath of God owed to his people so that instead of condemning us, he could marry us. That's amazing, isn't it? This is the most rock-solid, glorious love in all of the universe. It's undeserved. It's grace. And that's what it means to be united with Christ. This is the kind of love our marriages are meant to put on display. That is what our marriages are patterned after. 
We need covenant marriages, not consumerist marriages. Love, it, love is not merely a feeling or an emotion. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Pastor Tim Keller, he's a, a pastor um, in uh, New York City. He says, in a covenant, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. So the greater good of marriage is that it's a picture of Jesus's covenant with his bride, the church. Now, the consumerist approach to marriage sees love as an emotion, something that you can fall into and out of. Uh, so it, it, it kind of thinks like this, as, as long as this person makes me feel a certain way, I love them. But as soon as I stop feeling a certain way about this person, then I must not love them anymore, which means that it's time for me to move on. I, I'm no longer in love with this individual. And when this is the definition of love, then things like divorce and cohabitation and, and, uh, and all things like that become commonplace. You know, things like, you know, cohabitation, living together and sleeping together outside of marriage become common because why commit when you aren't sure if your needs are going to continue to be met? So it kind of makes sense to keep your options open. If love is merely just a, a feeling of desire, then it's scary to commit. Because what if I don't feel that way anymore? With divorce, the same thing. It's the same root cause. It's common because when your needs aren't being met, you just move on. That's what we see oftentimes. And and you've probably heard language like that uh, before where somebody will say, well, we we just uh, don't love each other anymore. Or uh, they're not the same person they were when I married them. Now, I want to be clear. There are biblical grounds for divorce. Okay, Uh, Does it make divorce good? doesn't make divorce uh, something that we should desire, but there are times when it is right and it is permissible um, to uh, divorce. Those grounds are abandonment, adultery, and abuse. Abandonment, adultery, and abuse. But let me be clear, outside of those three reasons, divorce is not a, a good thing. It is a distortion of God's design. Jesus Um, says in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, he also quotes uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, to make this case. He says uh, he's being challenged by the Pharisees um, who uh, were basically trying to trap him and, uh, you know, uh, ask him uh, when divorce was permissible. And here's his answer. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So clearly Jesus understood marriage to be a covenant that was unconditional. Marital love is not a feeling. It's not something that you fall into and out of. It's a decision. Jesus didn't die for us because we were lovable. He died for us as an act of sacrificial love. He laid down his life when we were undeserving. And God calls us to love our spouse in the exact same selfless way. And divorce grieves God because it's a distortion of the beautiful picture that marriage is intended to display of Jesus' covenant love with his bride. 
Um, Sexual immorality is also a distortion. Uh, The marriage union is consummated in physical intercourse, okay? Physical intimacy is a, a symbol and a picture of the two becoming one flesh union, And the reason that it's meant to be within the confines of marriage is that by having physical intimacy with your spouse, you are saying, I have a relationship with you like I have with no other. We have a, a, we are one flesh. We have a covenant bond and physical intimacy is a, is an expression of that. So physical intimacy of any kind outside of marriage is a terrible distortion of a beautiful picture. It takes a selfless covenant and it turns it into a selfish act of self-gratification. Physical intimacy is not meant for your selfish pleasure. It's not about us. It's given to you as a gift by God as an expression of that selfless covenant love. And it's meant to be enjoyed within the confines of a heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. So any sexual intimacy outside of this union is a distortion of God's image and God's design. Now, what about those who maybe have gone through a divorce or maybe you've fallen into uh, this type of a sin? Uh, Maybe uh, you have, uh, you know, fallen into sexual sin of some kind. Well, the good news is that there is grace for every single one of us. If you're caught up in sexual sin, the good news is that Christ died for sinners just like you and me. No matter how shameful you might feel, you are not too far gone for Jesus and you cannot out his grace. As a recipient of great grace myself, uh, I'm urging you to receive this grace. Uh, I don't, uh, myself and, and nobody else, we don't deserve a single thing from God. But the blood of Jesus has made me clean. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve so that he could make us holy, so that he could purify us for himself. And that includes every single person who's watching right now. I don't care how deep the sin is that you've fallen into. I don't care if you've been divorced. I don't care if there's a sin of physical intimacy. No matter what it is, you can come to Jesus. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to make us a new person. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul uh, lists off some of the, the sins that you know, maybe Christians had lived in in the past and had fallen into uh, you know, immorality and idolatry. And then in verse 11, he says, uh, And such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you've been made clean, and you can be made clean today. Right there in your home where you're sitting. If you confess your sins, God will forgive you of your sins. And let me encourage you to to talk to somebody about this. Don't struggle alone. Don't suffer alone. That's what the church is here for. Uh, Especially during this time when there's social distancing and it's easy to isolate. Uh, If you're struggling, one of the things that's going to happen is uh, temptations are going to be uh, rampant. During this time, especially uh, uh, sexual temptations uh, when you're at home and you're bored. And so let me encourage you to continue to press into your discipleship relationships. And let me encourage you to come to us as your pastors, myself or Thomas and Orion, or go to your disciple maker 
Uh, You're not going to be met with judgment (laughs) when you confess sin. We're met with mercy by God, and we, uh, as the church, we, we extend that mercy to one another. So let me encourage you uh, to please bring that to light uh, and don't uh, stay in that shame and in that guilt. Uh, so marriage has a pattern and marriage also has a plan. God's plan for marriage. Uh, God's plan for marriage. Uh, we see that in Genesis two eighteen to 25 as well. Uh, you'll notice in verse 18, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. And so what happens next is God proceeds to parade all the animals before Adam. But there was none suitable as a helper for Adam. Uh, And why? Well, because none of the animals were fit for Adam because they were not made in God's image like Adam. And so God made woman with his own hands in his image as a perfect fit, as a perfect complement to man. And I mean, notice Adam's song of delight when, um, when God brings Eve to him. In verse 23, he says, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's ecstatic. He's so excited. God clearly designed man and woman for one another. God designed the marriage relationship with specific roles for both husband and wife. Uh, we don't have time to dive too deep into this, but I do want to touch on it briefly. Uh, and and I, I, do, I think the main reason that people oftentimes struggle with the idea of roles within the home is because of a misunderstanding of, of things like male headship or male leadership in the home, a misunderstanding of what biblical submission is, and of a misunderstanding of what the purpose of these roles is in the first place. So we need to understand, again, I want to reiterate this, that the marriage relationship is not first and foremost about you. It's not about me. It's not about getting our way or having our rights respected. God patterned marriage after the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So the roles that God has ordained within marriage are meant to reflect that primarily. That's why these roles are there. But obviously, we are sinners. And so sin distorts that picture. Sin distorts those roles. So let's just look real quick at like how that happens and what we can do about it. So let's think about male headship or male leadership. So I want to I wanna go back and draw your attention again to Ephesians chapter 5. So in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what that tells us about male leadership in the home is that the husband is to lead the household through sacrificial service and sacrificial love. So Jesus told his disciples, uh, and he told them things like this many times in many ways. He said, if anyone among you wants to be great... He must become a servant of all. So Jesus says, you want to be a leader in my kingdom? You lay your life down. You serve others. And it's no different in the home. You want to lead your wife? You want to lead your home? Then lay your life down for her. Put her first. Die to your own self-interests. You know, sin makes us selfish, doesn't it? Sin twists the servant leadership that God intended for men to display into chauvinism 
and harshness. Husbands, God did not bestow on your uh, bestow leadership position on you in the home for your own pleasure. Your wife is not your maid. Your wife is not your servant. She is your helper who comes alongside you and supports you as you lead your family to follow Jesus. But she's a co-heir with Christ. And your primary role is to put her first. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And there's always a reason that God's commands are in the Bible. And the reason uh, that uh, that command is in the Bible, just like many others, is because we have a tendency to do it. We do have a tendency to be harsh, don't we? I mean, I think about this specifically in the way that we talk. Think about the way that you speak to your wife. It, would it, could, could you characterize the way that you speak to your wife uh, as gentle? Would gentleness be the way that you would describe your speech? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Are the things that you're saying to your wife, and I'm not talking about the words, I'm talking about the tone. Is the tone that you speak to your spouse to, is it building her up or is it tearing her down? Your role is to build up your spouse. Your role is to encourage her and to help her grow in Christ-likeness and to lay your life down for her. Let's talk about, let's talk about submission. So Ephesians 5.24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, wives, I, I want to point out that, that submission does not mean that you don't give input and that you don't help make decisions. Of course you ought to let your voice be heard within your marriage. Submission doesn't mean checking your brain at the door or agreeing with your husband on everything and just going along without a voice. That's a caricature of biblical submission. That is not at all what we see in God's word. Let's, what, so what is biblical submission? Well, again, Paul says that wives ought to submit to their husbands in the same way that the church submits to Christ. Well, let's ask, how does the church submit to Christ? Well, we don't submit to Christ out of obligation, but joyfully. Uh, husbands, it's much easier for your wives to do this when you're actually leading her with gentleness and sacrificial love. But wives, regardless of what your husband is doing, you can support your husband in this by, by letting them lead and encouraging your husband when you see them leading well. Jen, my wife, has been such an encouragement to me. And she'll tell me when she thinks that I'm wrong. And she has kept me from making many, many dumb choices. And I'm thankful that God has brought us together because we are better together than we are apart. And that's part of why God brings us together because we can serve him and glorify him more effectively as a unit together than we could on our own. Jen knows I would be an absolute mess if I was uh, on my own and, and she wasn't by my side in this. And she's my biggest encourager too. That's one of the things that uh, she's modeled so well. So wives, uh, let me encourage you to be an encourager to your husband because he needs it. He needs it as he takes on the responsibility of leading in the home. So here's just to kind of sum this up. God's design for roles within the marriage 
are very good. And it's selfishness and sin that distorts them. But when we follow God's plan for marriage, we give the world a beautiful picture, a beautiful illustration of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And so we've talked about God's pattern and plan for marriage. And so lastly, let's look at God's purpose for marriage. In other words, what is the goal? What is the outcome for marriage that we are aiming for? Let's, again, we're, we, we've been leaning heavily on Ephesians 5 here. And so I want to draw your attention to verse 26 and 27 uh, of Ephesians 5, uh, where uh, it says that Christ gave himself up for the church in verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus's desire is to continue to purify the church, preparing us for the day when we will stand before him at the marriage supper of the lamb presented to him holy and blameless. And this is God's purpose for marriage, that husband and wife would point one another <clears throat> and spur one another on towards Christ likeness. So you are helping your spouse become the person that God intends them to be. You don't marry a finished product. And that's why, by the way, so much conflict can happen within marriage because there's these these mismanaged expectations. You know, when we're dating, we put our best foot forward, don't we? Um, and, and so it's within marriage. And this is one of the reasons, going back to our first point, this is why it's so important that we understand love not as a feeling that we can fall into and out of, but as a decision. Because the reality is, is that uh, you are going to learn a lot more about your spouse after you've been living with them for a year than you ever thought you knew. You kind of see the tip of the iceberg when you're dating, and, and the tip of the iceberg is the best foot forward. Uh, Jen and I uh, often joke because when we were dating, uh, I used to get these ter terrible stomach aches. Uh, and uh, she didn't know why at the time, but I would get these terrible stomach aches. It was because I had to pass gas, and I would hold it in for the entire date. Well... <laughs> Once we got married, my stomach aches went away. It was a miracle, right? <laughs> it's important. Jen didn't, Jen didn't know I was going to tell that story. <laughs> here's, why I wanted to, here's why I thought that was just a, a funny, lighthearted illustration, but also a very apt illustration. It's because it's important to remember that your spouse is not a finished product, okay? And if you are in Christ, you're still being sanctified. And you are going to be changing and we are going to have to steadfastly love our spouse. We're going to have to steadfastly love one another and spur one another on towards Christ's likeness. And that can cause trouble if your expectation for marriage is that your spouse meet all of your needs and your expectations. If that's what you expect going into marriage, there's going to be a, a rude awakening for you. But... The mission and the purpose of marriage is not that your own needs and expectations be met. It's not self-fulfillment. The purpose of marriage is to sacrificially and unconditionally love and encourage your spouse towards Christ's likeness. And when you see and you understand that, all those little or maybe big annoyances that cause fights or cause bickering begin to not seem so important anymore. 
But let me urge you as a couple to seek God together in family devotions. Husbands, as the spiritual leader of your home, it's your role to lead out in this. So make your momentary marriage about preparing one another for the marriage supper of the Lamb. On your wedding day, you dressed up. You dressed in your best, and your bride uh, was in a dazzling white dress. And on the last day, and you were standing before a minister, but on the last day, we're not going to be standing before a minister. We're going to be standing before the Lord in dazzling whites. And when our eyes are fixed on that, we've got a grasp on what the purpose of marriage is. Now, before we close, I quickly want to address singles, because I know that we've got a lot of single people um, who are a part of Pillar Church of Washington, D.C. I know that many of you who are single have a desire for marriage. And for most of you, uh, marriage will probably be what God has for you. Uh, For some of you, uh, God's design and his will for you may be singleness, but for most of you, it'll be marriage. Uh, And for some of you, the thought of being and remaining single is terrifying, and you find yourself hoping and praying that God does not call you to singleness. Now, here's the deal. Singleness is devastating if we're looking to a potential spouse to satisfy us. Then singleness would be devastating. But marriage is about looking away from your spouse and looking towards Jesus together. So if you go into a marriage looking at your spouse for fulfillment, you're bound for trouble because you will be disappointed. As glorious as marriage is, singleness is not less glorious. In fact, if you read scripture and you see what Jesus has to say about it and what the Apostle Paul has to say about it in 1 Corinthians 7, you could actually make the argument that singleness is a higher calling than marriage is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that the unmarried person is able to focus his full or her full attention on serving the Lord and doesn't have to be anxious about meeting the needs of their spouse. Guys, marriage is not an end in and of itself. The purpose of marriage is to glorify God and to help your spouse grow in godliness. And the good news is that God is able to sanctify you and satisfy you, single person, whether you are married or not. And for those singles who do have a desire for marriage, one of the best things that you can do practically right now uh, is to begin preparing yourself now to be the husband or wife that God has called you to be. Here's one thing I can promise you is that nothing magical is going to happen on your wedding day to turn you into a godly husband or a godly wife. If you're not preparing now, you will not be prepared when you get married. So you need to begin right now to seek to be the type of husband that you God has called you to be for your wife. Wives, you need to seek now to be the type of wife that God has called you to be for your future husband. How do you do that? First and foremost, it looks like abiding in Christ. It's like getting into the word. It looks like making disciples. If you're not discipling anybody right now, how are you going to disciple your children? How are you going to lead your home, young men? So take people under your wing and disciple them. Look for somebody in the church. Another practical thing you can do is find godly married people in the church and spend time with them. Uh, So Thomas mentioned this in his prayer 
earlier. Hang out with married couples. Go observe how they talk with one another in the home and how they raise their children and how they do family devotions together. And by the way, married couples, you need to open your lives up for that, okay? You ought to invite single people into your home. Married couples, don't just hang out with other married people. Hang out with single people. Invite single men and women over to your home for dinner. Uh, Again, like Thomas said in uh, prayer earlier, we can't congregate in large groups, but we can go to each other's house for dinner, things like that. Uh, And so I would encourage you, what a a great time we have to do that. I mean, our schedules are more open. Uh, God has dropped this opportunity into our lap in a lot of ways where we've got the, the flexibility in our schedules to be able to really commit ourselves to this. And not only can we commit ourselves and invest in uh, our relation, our vertical relationship with God, which is the most important thing, because if we're not abiding in Jesus, if we're not spirit-filled, then it's going to be very difficult to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to submit to your husband as, Christ, as the church submits to Christ. So you need to be abiding in Jesus. But what an opportunity we have not just to invest in these relationships, but even in those horizontal relationships, even if it's not as a large gathering on a Sunday morning. So let me encourage you, to do that. Let's use this time of quarantine not to drift apart, but to draw closer together. Be safe about it, obviously. I want to throw that caveat in. If you're sick, don't go to each other's houses. If you're not well, don't go to each other's houses. Um, do a video call. But if you're, if you're well and you're up for it, spend time with one another. So we've talked about God's pattern for marriage this morning. We've talked about God's plan for marriage And we talked about God's purpose for marriage. And God has given us a a, a gift, as we've just said, during this time to invest in our relationships. And so as we do that this week, um, uh, my prayer is that you'll continue uh, to abide in Jesus. Uh, Let me encourage you also to um, not just invest into relationships with one another in the church, but husbands and wives, view this as an opportunity to invest in your marriage and to spend time with one another. You're there, you know, people joke around a lot, um, but you know, this time does have the potential if we don't walk by the spirit and if we don't see uh, the goal of marriage being ultimately to present a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, what this time of quarantine could turn into is a time when we're doing this, you know, for 15 days, 30 days, however long it is that this lasts. So that's why it's all the more important, be intentional about using this time to lay your lives down for one another, to spend time together, to, to love one another, to do things that your spouse wants to do. Husbands, be intentional about establishing a routine during this time. If you're not doing family devotions, then there is no reason that at the end of this quarantine time, you shouldn't have a habit started and formed in your, in your household. Use this time to start it. There's never been a better time. And I believe uh, one of the many things that God is doing through this is he is teaching us uh, and providing an opportunity for us to be able to begin to do those things that make for a healthy home and a healthy marriage. Amen? So let me encourage us to to, to do that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close out our time of worship. God, I thank you so much for uh, your word. Um, I thank you, God, for the gift of marriage. I thank you for your grace towards us that even when we fall far short of... uh, presenting this picture of, of marriage, of, of, of being image bearers who demonstrate to the world what the relationship between Jesus Christ 
and the church looks like. God, we so often can skew that image by the way that we treat one another, um, God, because we can let selfishness creep in. But I thank you, O oh God, uh, that you are so good and gracious and merciful to us that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and for our shortcomings and that we can come to you and find grace where we need it most. And I thank you, God, that not only does your grace offer us pardon, but your grace offers us power to be able to be the husbands and wives that you called us to be. That, God, even though in our flesh and in ourselves it's impossible for us to be able to do this in our own strength, there's no way in my own strength I could, I could just consistently put the needs of my wife above my own. But, God, as I lean on you, as I depend on you, and as I'm filled with your spirit, you are the one that enables me to love uh, my spouse as you have loved me, Jesus. So we thank you for that, God. God, I pray for our church. I pray for everybody who's watching. I pray that you'd bless them in their homes and their marriages. Oh God, please comfort them during this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be their comforter, that you would continue to sustain us. God, that you would keep our feet from stumbling. God, that you would be with us until we are able to gather together in person again as a church. God, I pray that uh, I know that Satan would love nothing more than for something like this to cause us to drift apart as a church, to talk, cause us to drift away from you. But I pray, Lord, that you would just cause all of these events and circumstances to only uh, make us cling to you tighter, to only make us cling to one another tighter, and that our church would become stronger as a result of this pandemic, God, and that we um, would bear much fruit to the glory and praise of God. We love you, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.